0: We hope you enjoy Ernest Zevon by PC Detman. If you really like this podcast, the best way to support us is to buy and read the ebook for Kobo or Kindle, also available as a paperback. 6. Esme Pearson did not immediately strike Ernest in any particular way. There was a family resemblance and she wasn't unattractive, but she was lacking something, a shine that set her younger sister apart. She was the kind of person Ernest came across in bars when his drinking was at its worst. She was the kind of woman who had a boring job and a tiring family. Esme looked and sounded depressed. It was Sunday afternoon and Ernest had cautiously agreed to eat a roast dinner with Georgia and Henry. Esme had been added later, and he hadn't wanted to pull out. These kind of complicated arrangements were exactly the reason he flew solo. Nothing ruined a quiet Sunday like a family gathering, especially when it was someone else's family. When can I come and watch you? asked Esme, her voice totally flat. Any time, said Ernest. It would be great to have friends in the audience for once. The food was okay, much as he had expected. Georgia wasn't in the habit of cooking like this, and a few of her timings were off. Ernest found that surprisingly amusing, given her musical timing was flawless. Esme was blonde, and unnaturally so. She had shoulder-length hair, and Ernest found himself glancing from her to Georgia, sizing them up. He sat next to Henry, kids and males on one side, girls on the other side of Georgia's small square table. Ernest was happy with that. He caught himself propping his chin up with his elbows on the table. He was getting tired of the small talk, tired of having to watch his language for Henry, and was generally fed up. He would give it one last throw, then make his excuses. Esme, do you play an instrument? Not really, not since... Not forever, actually. No time. How is work, he asked next, cringing. Boring. I just keep it going for some extra money. Three days a week, neither here nor there. Jesus Christ. But you've got such a good job. That was Georgia. Good? I used to think so, said Esme. But I forget when. It's just boring office stuff, moving bits of paper around. How often had Ernest heard a version of this? She was nearing a favourite topic. He felt his pulse quicken. They were going to have a debate. At last. But you get security for that, which helps if you have kids, he said proudly. Georgia glanced at him. She already knew him too well. Esme snorted in disgust. Security? Please. No, it's just dull, insecure, boring and unrewarding. And my husband's a bad I mean, he um, he makes it hard for me to keep going. Even though we need the money. Silence fell. Ernest wouldn't have much time to analyse how things happened the way they did. But at some point before they reached the street, he had suggested that Esme may like to grab a drink on the way home. It seemed the polite thing, and she definitely needed cheering up. Well, I have to... well, actually, I don't have to, but but I mean... He took that as a yes. He pushed open the door and flagged down a cab in the street. He knew just the place. The barman didn't raise an eyebrow, of course. But it was only a couple of days since Ernest had brought Georgia here. Would he just think this was the same woman with a new hairdo? A Walter special? Probably not. And Ernest didn't mind much. He bought the same drink. Just to see. Esme giggled a little and said, What drink is this? A particular martini, Ernest replied. Popular with Ian Fleming. The writer? Some people think so. They drank in silence for a while. I find family things like that pretty heavy, he said eventually. They're a bit easier when it's your family, said Esme, but not much. Do you have, well, anyone? He shook his head. Not any more. but don't let that worry you. I got used to it. Well, you have Georgia now. She needs someone. Not me. I'm certain of that. Esme laughed. You have so much in common. She's a mother. But so much more. He couldn't deny that. Let me be quite clear, he said. We're just colleagues. You know about colleagues. Well, just that if, you know, it it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Elder siblings always had a role somewhere between sister and mother. He imagined it must be hard having to share the parents. Even if one of them wasn't a cockney gangster and the last of a dying breed at that. The dregs. Who looks out for you, Esme? asked Ernest. The correct answer, of course, would have been her husband. But he knew she wouldn't say that. He didn't know who she would think of. Esme snorted into her drink and did not reply. Your mother? She's, uh, she's not that old, of course, but she's not what you would call with us. Alzheimer's then, tough. A flaky musical sister, a mum dependent on full-time care, and a useless husband. Quite the troika. Did you like the drink? I'll get you another. Esme looked at her watch, opened her mouth, and then said nothing. She nodded. My mother drinks. So not Alzheimer's? He knew all about the drink. Far worse than Alzheimer's, which had no explanation. Drinking would be tough to cope with, but it was hereditary too, which people were only just starting to appreciate. Have you or George ever... She shook her head. Luckily, no, but it makes me worry for my children. And Henry, maybe. No, he'll never. I'm, I mean, well... Ernest had a sudden feeling that he was lugging a dead weight with him. He had the notion of cheering her up, but conversation wasn't going to do it. There was too much darkness lurking just out of reach. At least he got a sense of her struggle. Have you ever been to a casino, Esme? She giggled again, her most fetching characteristic. Of course not! Ernest showed her the roulette wheel and the blackjack table at the Palm Beach Casino in Mayfair. He still had a line of credit there, for complicated reasons. They wouldn't let him cash out, he had to spend it there, which amused him more than it ought to. These games are for fools, he said. Fantasists chance as addicts. They're not games, of course. Follow me. He showed her through to the back, into the exclusive poker room, out of sight from the garish noise of the main tables. You'll bring me luck, but no cheering and no groaning if it goes badly. Imagine you're watching chess, not football. To her credit, Esme stood behind him for over an hour as he gradually built up a small pile of chips. She put a hand on his shoulder and squeezed when she sensed he was about to win something. After a while, she patted him and whispered into his ear, You're doing well. Is it time to go? He knew that the time to go was when you were winning. Everyone knew that, but he didn't usually have a voice to point this out. He stood up, thanked the other players, and swiped his chips out. He was allowed to cash any winnings, something which happened about once a year. They left the casino and made for the hotel bar, his jacket stuffed with notes. He made some inquiries behind the bar, ordered her a drink, made an excuse, and left just for a few minutes. He was up. Esme really was a lucky charm. When he returned from the men's room, he found her flushed and excited. You did it, Ernest! Thanks for bringing some luck with you. I don't normally. You're not just a bored housewife, you know. I didn't... Did I say that? Yes, she had. I just get stuck sometimes, you know? He did. He had an answer. Not necessarily the right one, but it was an answer. He patted his pocket. Esme, have you ever tried Coke? The next thing Ernest knew, his phone was ringing. I'm really sorry to ask, but could you just come to the hospital for a couple of hours? Who is this? Georgia. Are you okay? It's Henry. I I just, um. well, Great Ormond Street. Soon as you can? Ernest looked across his bed to the sleeping form of Esme. Why hadn't she been invited? There was a smell, a bad smell. On closer inspection, he found vomit in her hair. No doubt Georgia had called her first and her mobile was off. He got dressed. Helping out with Henry might go some way to ease his guilt. How quickly anticipation and optimism had yielded to foreboding. Ten minutes later, He was heading west on a bus. Ernest rides to the rescue. The 38 would get him there in no time, with a short walk to bring himself round. He considered his approach. Hospitals were big places, and the staff didn't just give out names and ailments easily. Georgia. Georgia and Henry. Family name? Department? Illness? Pearson! That was their name. He'd give the reception desk a try and make it up from there. An hour later, he finally found them. Luckily, Henry had been called in to see a doctor, so Ernest didn't have to make too much small talk. He was thrown into silence when Georgia grabbed his hand as though she was pulling him from a stormy sea. He felt the circulation cut off, and his hand went numb, but he didn't say anything. Esme clearly forgot, said Georgia, and not for the first time. She was supposed... it doesn't matter. As Ernest sat in the consulting room, Georgia next to him and Henry next to her, the situation began to unfold for him. This was a scheduled appointment, not an emergency, and Henry was looking profoundly unwell. His sprightly performance at dinner the previous day was almost impossible to believe. He looked exhausted, his skin translucent, and he had dark rings around his eyes. The nameplate on the door suggested some kind of immune system issue, Ernest began to wonder if Henry was seriously ill. Why had Ernest even been coerced into this private situation? He hadn't signed up for this at all. They were just colleagues, and new colleagues at that. He didn't cope well with disease. The doctor was talking. Some of them always looked depressed or concerned, so that if they conveyed good news, you couldn't believe it. Everything about the doctor said bad news, but Ernest couldn't really understand what they were talking about. Georgia soaked up the information quietly. She nodded every so often, glanced at Henry, tightened her viced hand around Ernest's, and then listened some more. The whole thing took quarter of an hour, and then they were standing up, time to go. Ernest nodded a thank you to the doctor, but he didn't know why. Georgia quickly wiped a tear away with the back of her hand, sniffed, and took a big breath. Well done, Henry, she said and the three of them walked together along the corridor. Henry, here's a pound. Go and get some chocolate from that vending machine. As soon as Henry was out of sight, Georgia burst into tears. She still had Ernest's hand, and now she pulled him towards her for a bone-crunching hug. Her body shook as she let her cries out. Ernest just felt confused. Not the time to ask about Henry's condition, but when would be the time? He just stood quietly for a few seconds until the crying subsided. Sorry, said Georgia. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't know Henry was sick. I hid it from you. I hide it from him and myself most of the time. He's why I need the money. He needs some new procedure, a new type of bone marrow transplant. One way or another, he'll die without it. Ernest looked along the corridor in Henry's direction. The boy was still out of sight. He hadn't looked like he might die. He has to go private. The NHS can't do it. Needs lots of money. Lots. But time is running out. Every time we come here, he's worse. Georgia finally let Ernest out of her bear hug. I've been thinking. I wonder if it's better that I should spend more time with Henry. I don't think we've enough time to earn the kind of money we need. I've been thinking thinking that our partnership is too late, Ernest. I can't do it. Do what? Regular gigs, relaunching my career. I left it too late. Henry needs me more than he needs another operation. How much do you need? Around a hundred, maybe more. A hundred quid? Thousand pounds. A hundred grand. Jesus. And so it had ended, almost as suddenly as it had begun. There could be no half measures. Either you had enough money for an operation, or you didn't. Even 50,000 wasn't going to help, and Georgia didn't have anything like that kind of money. And no matter how good their tips, they wouldn't get anything like that soon enough. Such were Ernest's thoughts as he rode the bus home. He had seen Georgia and Henry home, feeling emotional himself as he hugged the young boy and told him everything would be fine. Why did life do these things? Who were these people to him anyway? They had no right to thrust their tragedy onto him. There was only one solution, and it was lunch with Walter. He wasn't idealistic enough to think he could even win that kind of money at cards, but Walt might have a new perspective. Walt's perspective was closely and minutely involved in hair care, style products, and the latest fashions, and he would bring a detached calm to concerns about Henry, a boy he had never met. You know, Ernest, you need a change of pace. I've been making some calls. I really cannot cut hair. No, seriously, I'm being serious, no joking around. There's someone who knows someone, you know how it is. They need a keyboard player and some backing vocals for a tour they've got starting in a week or so. They were let down by someone, that sort of thing. Is that one person or two? Just one, just you. No matter how generous his mood, there was no way Ernest could donate all his tour proceeds to Georgia. For one, she wouldn't let him, and for two, he couldn't even afford to offer. It's a nice thought, Walt. Man, you can't refuse. I haven't told you who it's for yet. It's a big name, a proper tour. None of this two chaps and a dog in a pub rubbish. It's not something you say no to once I've put your name in. It sounded messy, complicated. Big tours mean auditions, Walt. Why would they just take me? You've worked with these guys before, long ago, I mean long ago. They remember you. Seriously? I haven't toured in... Exactly right. Here's the number. Don't ring it unless you're going to say yes. As Ernest walked home, the beginnings of an idea came to him. The number was significantly more than Ernest had ever earned before, more than the bar with Georgia by a very long distance. The road trip, the tour, would help them a lot, It would fetch them a good wind. But it wouldn't bring in enough, in a short time, even if Ernest gave up his fee to Georgia. And they only wanted one person, not a sax player. Even with the biggest band in the world, even if they had the time for a two-year world tour. Two years was too long. A year was too long. It wasn't enough. Too much to borrow, even begging several lifelong friends. He owned no property. But as all these routine ideas tumbled through his mind, there was an option which started to crystallise. It was right there, staring him in the face. There was a way to do this with a bit of luck. But it would have to be his secret. Georgia must not find out, and he needed a cover story. But it could just work. And while he was feeling so positive, he decided to ring the number Waltz gave him to volunteer his services, and to ask whether they couldn't find a role for the best tenor sax in Western Europe. It just won't work, Ernest. Henry would have to come with us and there wouldn't be anyone to look after him. Ernest slumped back in his chair. Of course, the biggest obstacle to Georgia raising the funds for Henry was the boy himself. The dilemma of the single parent, the ultimate trade-off. But just as quickly as Georgia had seen the flaw in his grand plan, Ernest saw the answer. Esme. Georgia paused "'Maybe the change of scenery would help her sister too. "'Maybe they would all find something on this trip, "'Henry's last chance. "'They would all throw in something for him. "'Ernest would give up his fee, Esme would babysit, "'and they would all pull together like a family. "'It was perfect.' "'But Esme won't do it,' said Georgia. "'But Georgia didn't know about last night. "'Ernest barely knew anything about it. "'He doubted she would hesitate. "'I'd love to help,' said Esme. "'a few seconds later, without hesitation.' He could hear her voice clearly inside George's phone. Are you sure? And it was settled. Road trip.